I am Dr. I, and I am here with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Joe. April was a minute. April went, April thought it was March. As they say, come in like a lamb and go out like a lion. That's what happened in April, folks. And today is May Day. It is a beautiful day here in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm looking at three things out my window today, and I want to share those with you. I'd love to hear it. First of all, a judge here in central Ohio said, no, no, no. You're not going to have any pepper spray and wood pellets at our folks. Uh, Judge Marbley, right here in Columbus, Ohio, a African-American judge said that tear gas, pepper spray, wooden bullets will not be used on crowds of people that are nonviolent. That's huge, folks, and we appreciate him looking out for us. The second thing I see out my window is it's May Day, and May Day has typically been a celebration of good weather and planning for the summer and you know when you think about summer and you think about vacations if you have children you think about disney world and disney world's open today and that's open to to come on in crowds of people so that's kind of dangerous to me but i know they're going to be there and i think you ought to Think about that if you decide to go to Disney World today, because I see lines all the way out here to Columbus trying to get in Disney World. Um, My final window is a shout out to a black woman here in Columbus this weekend who's has her own strategic marketing and production firm called Coco B Productions. Her name is Mariko Bennett. And she's with her sidekick and COO, Gail, here to celebrate some of their large corporate clients. She's an MBE, a WBE, uh, everything you can think of. And so I wanted to say hello to them as we look out the window. So thank you for that opportunity. And Dr. Joe, what's going on in your world? Well, that's a lot. That's a lot to come in on some of the the points that you brought up. When you talk about the ruling from the judge, I think what's even more noteworthy is that he is located geographically here in Columbus, Ohio, but he's a federal judge. And so that wasn't just a local decision. That's a judge that, that's a decision that has a wider spreading impact. And so we'll see how that is um, applied or enacted this summer assuming there are any protests for any reason we don't know that there will be although certainly there is enough to to keep the the public on notice and perhaps um, in the streets we'll just wait and see about that as it relates to the business you talked about it's always good news when another enterprise and especially a a black enterprise um, spreads its wings and so that's great as well and as it relates to Disney World and the pandemic so I am still cautiously optimistic about the pandemic and when it will end if it does end I have had both of my vaccines me too and I hope others have and I still have the question for those who have chosen not to get vaccinated what their solution or what their plan is as to how we will get beyond the pandemic so that's still an open question that I have and I would encourage anyone who has an answer to that to let us know that but I still wear my mask even though I've been vaccinated me too I have been indoors in restaurants much more than I have in the past although I'm happy that the weather is getting warmer so I can eat outside because I still feel more comfortable I think in general maybe maybe I'm just going to be a germaphobe for the rest of my life because suddenly the thought of shaking people's hands and mm-hmm. and getting close to people who I don't you know, know well, where they yeah suddenly that seems very scary to me so um, we continue to take one day at a time our progress in working through the pandemic I was pleased this week that I heard at the podium at the State of the Union someone who I believe actually has a plan 
and that their plan is well thought out, well reasoned, based in science, keeping in mind the interests of the entire country. And so the fact that there has been a vaccine that's been rolled out successfully and it appears to be more widely available than it was even just months ago is encouraging as well. And I think we all, uh, in reference to what you just said about having a plan, we need a plan for this summer vacations and outdoor gatherings how are we going to handle that um and because i know how i've been feeling when i actually see some of my friends in person it's like a family reunion i'm so excited i'm so happy to see them after staying away from them for a year and a half or so that i can get kind of whacked out over it so i've got to control myself and speaking of friends, I've got a friend on the line right now. A friend that I've had, mm, I'm going to say 20 years or more. And she's a friend to this community. And she's our first guest, Dr. Joe. She is one of the most credible marketing persons, communication persons, public relations person in this community. She spent most of her career as a dedicated uh, servant of this community. She was with Franklin County Children's Services for over 30 years, um, looking out for the, the, the troubled youth that are in um, their care. Uh, she is now a, a public relations professional sought after by many uh, agencies and government entities. And I would like to introduce to some and announce to others that I have the Doris Calloway Moore on the line. And if I can get her to say good afternoon, I would sincerely appreciate it. Doris, are you there? Hello? Doris. While we're waiting to to get her on the line and we're working to do that now, I just wanted to to go back into my window for just a moment. You mentioned that she's worked with Franklin County Children's Services. And so there are two young ladies who come to mind as we think about our children. One of them is um, Gigi Bryant, Kobe Bryant's daughter. She would have been 15 years old today from what I see on my Twitter feed. And of course, if you have been around for the last two years, even if you're not a sports fan, you likely know that she uh, was killed very tragically along with her dad, Kobe Bryant, in a helicopter crash while they were on their way to a basketball tournament that she was scheduled to be in. Her dad was the coach. And so her death, of course, was extremely tragic. So, um, of course, we don't know that family here, but certainly we can we can empathize with what they're feeling today. There's another young lady who comes to mind who is closer to home, and she was funeralized yesterday, and her name is Makia Bryant, and she, again, if you've been following current events, you know that she was killed several weeks ago in a police shooting um, during an incident that was reported at her foster home. And there's been a lot of buzz in the community about the implications of that. What was the role of the police and what should the role of the police have been? What was the role of the foster care system? Her family came forward this week to ask for an investigation of all of that. And I read a very poignant article by a Howard University professor who had been in the foster system and she asked that whatever we know or don't know about this situation here in Columbus, that professor could explain what she went through as a foster child and perhaps as any child who is traumatized. And just that phrase, a child who's traumatized, to me is somewhat of an oxymoron. Childhood should be a time when we're not traumatized. And so she asked us to just think about life through the eyes of a child who's traumatized and to suspend our judgment until we understand more about what life is like for children in general, but children whose childhood 
is it erupted in some way. And so it's it's um, ironic that we actually had extended an invitation to the head of Franklin County Children's Services and the heads of their mentoring program for young black men, young black boys and young black girls in foster care. We had extended an invitation to them to be on the show today, which was coincidental because April was Child Abuse Prevention Month. And we had wanted to recount the activities of the month as well as talk about what those in our listening audience could do about children whose lives aren't what we perceive childhood should be like. They declined that offer. And we do respect that Franklin County Children's Services declined being on the show today. But again, Dr. I, as you've said, we are, are, are very proud to have on the show today Doris Calloway Moore who as you indicated is a public relations professional who among other things has been an advocate for our children and also following her we will have Columbus City Council person Priscilla Tyson who chaired a commission on black girls within the past few years to study the quality of life within Central Ohio so thank you for allowing me to to share those observations and to share that moment of grief and now we will go back and ask our guest Doris Calloway Moore to say hello to us hi Doris Good afternoon, ladies, Dr. Joe and Dr. Iris. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties, but at least we're connected now. And and we're just glad to have you. Um, I was bragging about our relationship. We've kind of grown up uh, as adults here in Central Ohio, um, raising girls together, um, yes. bumping into each other in community organizations and and um, you are one of the um, icons here that uh, people respect, and certainly I respect you, and that's why I almost begged you to come on this show, but you were so sweet, you said, okay. But in any event, well, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say it's, it's my pleasure. Um, I have known you a long time. Uh, we've been through a lot together yes, with our girls. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And- so it's a well, it's a sad day because of of the funeral of Micaiah Bryant yesterday. Um, but it's a good opportunity, um, and I'm glad that Dr. Joe and you are have taken this time to talk about Black girls in our community. And that's why we kind of came up with the title of the show is Black Girl Trauma and Trouble. Um, because uh, it's an issue, and and we as Black women have to recognize it and 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 deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you give us kind of an overview of your vision on what is the state of Black girls today? If you well, have to break it to Central think, Ohio, but what what? How do you feel about that? Well, I think that frankly, our Black girls are in trouble. Um, I think that they need us as black women to step up and do more. But but let me share with you, um, as you know, I was a volunteer with Rise Sister Rise that's currently been renamed to Black Girl Rising. Um, and as part of that organization, um, we have a black girl think tank. And I think the best way to know what's going on with black girls in our community is, is to listen to the girls, frankly. Um, what the black girls think tank um, said and the things that they came up with, areas of concern for them, uh, were six areas. And they are colorism. Imagine that in this day and age. I, I thought that ended with our generation, but nope. colorism is still a big issue. Bullying, um, I think we saw that with the Micaiah Bryant uh, situation, unfortunately. Uh, depression and other mental health issues, LGBTQ issues, uh, body image is huge for girls, um, and um, the other thing that they identified was the need for self-defense training, and I, I think that's a cry for protection against violence that they see. Um, so I think those issues speak volumes about what girls are experiencing in our community today. Um, we've learned from other community girls that many girls in our community identify as being depressed, some even suicidal. Um, and as you can imagine, all these issues, the colorism, the bullying, the depression, body image, can all lead to low self-esteem. 
um, and the title of your show, that the trauma that girls experience. Many of our girls have been victims of abuse and neglect. They've witnessed violence, um, either of people within their family or outside their family. Sometimes they're the victims of violence. Uh, they see exposure to alcohol and drug addiction. So there's just a lot, just way too much. It, it makes me sad of things that our girls witness and see today and are experiencing. How did we get here, Doris? I mean, you you, you and I and, and our generation, we had 24-7 mamas and daddies that kind of wrapped us up and told us what was right and wrong and and teachers and all that kind. We had a village. What? what how did we get here? Well, I think there's a lot of issues. I don't think you can simplify it to one. I think... And I know this is a catch-all phrase, but it unfortunately is just true. And one of them is just systemic racism um, and its economic and psychological effects on families. Um, that is just huge for all of us. Um, the other thing that I think happens, um, and you talked about it with neighborhoods and, and how when we grew up, people checked us and, and um, we had people that were supportive that surrounded us. I think neighborhood isolation is an influencing factor. In the old days, and William Raspberry, a, a editorialist, wrote a column on this many, many, many years ago. In the old days, in black neighborhoods, you, held, you had people of various economic levels. So in one neighborhood, you may have the teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a social worker. Um, so there were natural role models in your community. Today, we're much more economically isolated, I believe. Um, young people have less diversity of people to learn from. So, of course, there are good people in all neighborhoods. I'm not trying to suggest that they're not. But I think that diversity is gone. Um, and I think we need to influx certain communities with various people so that there are different role models. I think the other thing that we see with black girls is um, there's a phenomenon that they call adultification. I don't know if you've heard of that, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bias, uh, a form of racial prejudice where children of minority groups, such as African Americans, are treated as being more mature than they actually are. Um, Girlhood Interrupted, the erasure of black girls' childhood published by the Center on Poverty and Inequity at Georgetown Law School, found that adult education, educators in their interactions with black girls believe black girls to be less deserve less nurturing, protection, support, or comfort than their white peers. They were twice as likely to be disciplined for minor infractions and two and a half times more disciplined for disobedience than their white peers. So that's a factor too. Educators don't see our girls as children. Um, many of them see them as many adults and because of that, they are not afforded the same latitude and grace uh, that children should be afforded by just doing normal childhood things. Um, and then the, I think all of those things are, are kind of been around for a while, but what's has, has intensified tremendously since we were raising our kids, um, I believe, is the influence of social media. Um, black girls, like many white girls, have been raised in a world to seek body perfection, whatever that is, and to value and worship often inobtainable material things. I think social media, the, the Facebook and the the Instagram and Twitter, all of those things have just had a huge impact, I think, unfortunately, on girls in our community and can be in a very negative way. So I know I've thrown a lot of stuff out there, but those are some of the many things that I think we see. And I think that being cooped up for the last year and a half and having homeschool and all the the actual physical changes to our lifestyle has caused stress in many households so um 
we have Absolutely. to yeah we have to take a real quick break here um but when i when i uh come back when we get back on the the radio um i want to ask you a little bit about your success with the levy at children's services and so let's just take a real quick break and we will be back on the window okay thank you mm -hmm. we are back on the window with our esteemed guest doris calloway moore who is a community advocate an advocate for girls and troubled children and uh, one of the most credible voices in the community um, when it comes to advocating for people that need help and just recently you were successful in leading a campaign that raised money for children's services can you tell the public what that was about and what we're going to see from that campaign? Oh, thank you, Iris. Um, well, as you know, um, I worked for Ch Franklin County Children's Services for 35 years, um, and it was my pleasure um, to work to help children in our community. The agency serves children that have been abused and neglected, um, and the goal of the agency is always to protect children um, and to provide services, one, to, to keep families together, uh, to heal whatever issues may be that they may be experiencing um, so that our children can grow up to be uh, successful and valued uh, young adults. Um, they are funded. 70% uh, of the funding of Franklin County Children's Services comes from Franklin County property tax levy. And so every five years, they have to go before the public and ask for a renewal of those funds. And I try, I was one of many people, you know, you'd never do things alone. Um, I was one of many people that worked um, on it as a team uh, to try to get that um, levy passed. And, and luckily, we were successful. Um, the agency's doing a lot of great things uh, with those dollars. They're, first of all, they're maintaining services and protecting children that have experienced all of that trauma. Um, but they are also adding some services. I know that they uh, recently um, set up a diversity and inclusion uh, department, um, and they're hiring people to look at um the disproportionality of children coming under the care of children's services. We have, unfortunately, many more African-American children being served than white children. And so they're looking at those issues uh, and how to address those. Um, they are also changing the way that they do business in that um, they are doing an alternative response so that when children are, uh, when families call and say that uh, they need the agency to investigate abuse and neglect, um, they are offering services that where we do not have to open a case. And I think that's very important. Uh, so families aren't stigmatized by being a ward of children's services. They're able to get services for um, just food insecurity, poverty issues, uh, utilities. Uh, things of that nature so that they don't have to be involved with us. So those are some of the things that they'll do with the dollars that they get. And and it's needed, especially after the, the last two years, um, because black families and other minorities have been disproportionately impacted by the, the pandemic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm going to respect your schedule, Doris. You were nice enough to give us this time today. Is there anything else that you can see in the um, environment that that is is hurting our kids that should be dealt with just off the top of your head? Well, I, I, I think there's just, I think I've covered a lot of them, mm -hmm. Iris, but there's a too many to mention but one of the things I do want to say though is I think that um, we sometimes get overwhelmed with um, when sad things happen like the uh, Micaiah Bryant um, and, and the unfortunate loss of her and we get overwhelmed with the enormity and gravity of situations and it and it leaves us immobilized we look for others we look for institutions such as children's services or job and family services to provide uh, the answers. 
But I think really that the answer lies with us. I think that um, we have to do even small things to help out girls in our community. Look around our churches, our neighborhoods, our families. See who we can help, who we can encourage. Look to other organizations to see if we can volunteer. Um, I think for all of us, but particularly with girls, they want to be seen. They want to know they are listened to, that they are valued. Uh, they want encouragement. So we need to lift girls up in this community through cards, letters, words of affirmation or mentorship. Um, and the other thing we need to do as women is to open up. Too often we've been raised to keep secrets, as you know, so that we hold our traumas of sexual abuse, domestic violence, exposure to alcohol and drugs, addiction, um, mental health issues, our loneliness, our bullying, our isolation, self-image. We hold all of those things inside. And I think perhaps if we shared more of our journey with young girls, that they might see a a way out of their despair. We can hold the light that we have inside or we can become the lighthouse to show and light the way for our girls. So I would just encourage your listeners to step up and to get involved. Uh, we may not live in, in, in diverse communities, but we can go back to the community and we can offer a listening ear a helping hand and I would just encourage people to step up wherever they can. Doris and you've done that and and I'm proud to know you actually. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being candid with us, giving us the good uh, advice that we need to hear. We can't always point the fingers at institutions. Right. Um, we gotta, we're, we, the village still exists. And, and we've got to take our roles as, I guess, matriarchs in this village mm -hmm. and do something with it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I am going to let you get outside and get some sun now. And Oh, I've uh, just got my granddaughter and things to do. But thank you for having me. And it, this is an important topic. Glad you're shining light on it. Thank you, Doris, and hope to see, see you in person soon. Thank you so much. Oh, uh-huh. Bye-bye. You know, Dr. I, I, as you, when you commented before our guests gave us great information for us to consider and reflect on, I grew up in one of those um, model homes as well. And so I, I would say for those of who are we're old enough to remember Leave It to Beaver mm -hmm. and more recently The Huxtables. That's the way my childhood was. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I became an adult that I found out that other children had lives that were very different than mine. And my, um, my attention was um, riveted on information that I had the privilege of being involved in helping compile that was the result of the stellar efforts of our next guest on The View. I'm very happy to welcome along with Doris Calloway Moore, who we just heard from, city council person here in Columbus, Priscilla Tyson. I guess I should start with congratulations for council member Tyson, because she recently announced that she's retiring, which makes me very jealous of her, but she deserves a retirement because she has been a Columbus city council person since the early 2000s, since 2007. And even prior to that, she was with the city of Columbus for almost 30 years years in her role with the Civil Service Commission. Prior to that, she had a career in the corporate world. But among her more recent accomplishments, City Council Member Tyson commissioned the Commission on Black Girls. And I'm looking right now at a document that's more than 100 pages in length as it relates to findings, recommendations, executive summary, a report on the quality of life of black girls in Columbus. And so we're also delighted and very honored that Councilmember Tyson took time out of her schedule today to come and talk to us about her career, but also about the Commission on Black Girls as we delve into this topic of the trauma and troubles of black girls. Councilmember Tyson, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you very much for having me here, um, Dr. Joanna and Dr. Iris. I'm happy to be here. 
So you've done some pretty radical things lately. You have, for example, sponsored the Crown Act that, that asks the question, why do we discriminate on the basis of hair? You have had the audacity to say, well, gee, maybe racism is a public health crisis. And now you've commissioned a group of very stellar professionals in the community to look at the quality of life of black girls in Columbus. Can you tell us why you've done all this? And in particular, what was it that was so important to you about black girls that you thought we should devote this type of energy to looking at the situation? Well, uh, thank you very much. Well, uh, again, my being on council such a long time and the committee that I have, one of the committees I chair is Health and Human Services. And as I begin to look at the data, uh, around who is utilizing most of our humans have some significant amount of human service needs. You begin to look at it that it happens to be black women. And then you look at um, some, of the, some of the statistics in Columbus. So you think about um, in Franklin County that black women make up about 16% of the population, but a third of them live in poverty. Or that you think about the income gap in terms of for black women, for black women are making 63 cents on the dollar compared to a white man. Just think about that. So if you made $50,000 in 2020, a white man did, it, it will be August August 3rd of 2021 before a black woman makes that same $50,000. I look at that, our, our black babies in terms of infant mortality are dying two and a half times more than um, our white babies. And even though there's a lot of um, uh, support that's been given and programs, it's still that's still the case. I also think about you know, who's being evicted from um, in, in our community, and 71% of evictions are single mothers, and 64% of them are black. Who's in the homeless shelter? I mean, obviously, if you're getting evicted, you're probably going to you know, not have a place to go, so they're in the homeless shelter. Look at girls, and this is just one statistic, so we know that girls are suspended in about five and a half times more than white girls. So if you look at just the data, the data means to me suggested that if we're going to look at changing the trajectory of our black girls lives we need to begin to also focus on our girls there are many you know programs and initiatives that are focused on our women but to me it was important that we have an understanding of what is the current quality of life for black girls in columbus ohio and that's where we pulled together this group of you know, 25 um, commissioners led by uh, Fran Fraser and Frederick Bertley to um, study the quality of life of our girls. So, Fran Frazier, as we, we just heard Doris Calloway Moore mentioned uh, Rice Sister Rise, which is now Black Girls Rising. Dr. Fred Bertley is um, head of COSI, Center of Science and Industry, and you may have seen him on some recent ads, Dr. I, talking about the, pa the pandemic. He is a, a health care professional. And so, uh, Councilmember Tyson, Dr. I and I were just sitting here looking at each other shaking our heads as you read those statistics if i'm understanding you correctly then the work of the commission on black girls and whatever comes from that has an impact not only on black girls and women but it seems like it will have a huge impact on our city as a whole is that correct oh absolutely because if you're supporting if you're supporting a black girl when you look at the data if you support the individuals that um, seeming to have the most challenges if you can um if you can begin to remove those challenges then this whole community will be able um to be to be able to have um you know a greater success we talk about this being columbus for all with the columbus for all if you help individuals who again are most challenged we can begin to change the trajectory of not only the girls lives but the residents of our community so we heard earlier in the show the term systemic racism and that's a term that's used a lot could you tell us about who else was on the commission and their potential role in addressing whatever it is this thing called systemic racism is? Yeah, so I can share some of the people that were on the committee. It was certainly a diverse group of people. And I absolutely want to add that um, when you, this report, as we talk a little bit more about it, um, the number one, uh, besides the number one recommendation of this being a permanent commission, if we're going to change the quality of life of black girls, we've we got to deal with racism. And so I listened to what, you know, Doris was saying, and she's absolutely right, but racism is a foundation of 
what is going on with our black and brown children. That is the foundation of this. And so, but I will also share. So on this commission, we had um, Sergeant Ally from the Division of Police. We had Linda Brown, who is an executive of Huntington, but she also represented the links. We had Crystal Causey representing 100 black women. Um, um, Sister Clark, First Lady Clark from First Church. We had the Panhellenic um, councils represented by LaShonda Coleman, Michael Corey from the Human Service Chamber, Lisa Cordes, United Way, Mary Cusick, who's a community leader, uh, Dr. Kevin Dixon, who's representing Adam H., um, Judge Gill, because of her role in, in terms of juvenile and domestic relations. We had Elisa Gillison from Columbus City Schools, Tom Grody from Grody and Turner, Mia Harrison representing Nationwide, Kim Hooper at the time was at Walmart. Now she's at Amazon. Um, we had uh, Kim Elsie um, Johnson from the YWCA, then Carolyn Wallaber from the Y, Dr. Desha- Attorney Deshauna Lee from Nationwide Children's, Dr. Roberts, Mashika Roberts from Columbus Public Health, Dr. Wendy Smooth from The Ohio State University, um, Dr. Mashika Roberts from Columbus Public Health, Chuck Spinning from Franklin County Children's Services. Jennifer Peterson, Easton Steiner Associates, and Peyton Williams, who was from the Black Girls Think Tank. And, of course, we certainly were able to work with, at that time, um, our research team was from Thoughtwell, led by Dr. Lathenia Butler. And then, of course, um, the project team and manager was, um, you know, Dr. Pat Lyons, of course, you, Dr. Joanna Williamson, Deborah Miles, and Jill Frost. So we had, and then the team at Columbus City Council that works closely with me, um, especially Nicole Harper. So it's an amazing group of individuals that um, certainly represent, as you heard, represent um, uh, areas, different areas that work with our girls and then corporate partners that certainly need to be understanding of what is going on with our girls so they can continue to think about what new, more ways to support them. But we also um, um, heard from not only to the, not only our girls that want to come back to that because this really is about our girls, um, but we also had organizations that work with our girls to also come and present to us over that two-year period. Uh, most importantly, though, as um, uh, as Doris stated, we heard from 422 girls that took a survey that answered about 90 questions based upon their lives. But we also had focus groups and listening sessions um, with parents, listening sessions with our girls, focus groups with our girls, listening sessions with parents and caregivers, and listening sessions of organizations that work with our girls. That's quite a comprehensive study. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and ask you about the findings in the key contextual areas in which the Commission on Black Girls did its work. Please stay with us, everyone, on the window. We are back on the window talking about black girl trouble and trauma. We have on the line Columbus City Council member Priscilla Tyson, who we learned before the break commissioned a commission on black girls consisting of key stakeholders in our community who helped to analyze, collect research, talk to the girls themselves and the girls' um, parents and the girls' service providers and also experts in fields ranging from the spiritual community to the academic community to mental health issues to um, the services provided to troubled youth in the foster care system, just a wide variety of sources that are the underpinnings of society and of what the commission found was that constant theme of racism that runs through our society, which by the way is somewhat contrary to what we heard a major congressman of color say earlier this week in terms of America not being a racist country. We'll talk more about that later, but. Councilmember Tyson, as it relates to the quality of life of black girls in Columbus and what this report found and what this report is suggesting be done about that, can you elaborate on that for our listeners now? Yes, well, thank you. I just want to share some of the survey, some of the survey respondent highlights with you. And so for our girls that were 11 to 15, they um, 47% live only with their mothers. Um, 22% live with both parents. Uh, they um, total 50% of them participate in extracurricular activities. 
57% have had some form of leadership experience and they want more leadership experience. 58% struggle with feelings of depression and anxiety. 71, 73% have said it would like leadership roles and extracurricular activities. 50, almost 59 and a half or 60% of our girls reside in rental homes or apartments. About 46% that they report being bullied at school. 57% that they attend church. Um, 48% report percent discuss their mental health with a physician, nurse, or counselor, or other mental health provider. Almost 50% have had parents who have not been arrested, so the other 50% have been. And the question is, what makes them happy? What makes a girl happy? 85% said music, 79% said their family, and 78% said their friends. And then, um, I'll give you context to some of this. And so the respondents that were 16 to 22, um, 34% live with their parents. 18% of them have children. Uh, 23% of them have experienced homelessness. 56% had jobs. Um, 87% were in school. 11% were pursuing a college degree. 72% that they were struggling with feelings of depression and anxiety. 73% said they live in rental homes or apartments. And 62% said they want more ex they want more leadership roles. They also stated that um, they have report 53% report discussing mental health with a physician, nurse, or counselor. 38% have have parents that had not been arrested, that had not, 37% had not. And then they also, again, like music, family, and friends, make them happy. 70% of all these girls had said they had received some sort of detention, suspension, or expulsion from school. Um, some other information um, that you think about this, are girls also... Um, our girls or our black children in, in our community, 60% of them live with a single, the single mothers. And then we also know that our girls told us that the education level of their parents were this. Only about less than 20% lived with two parents that had a college, a college, graduated from college. The remainder, the majority of our girls told us that they live with parents that make, and this is why this is important, because if you don't have a college degree or any other form of um, education past high school, the economic context of which our girls are living is based upon their, you know, their parents' income. And so the, the majority of the girls that we, that we um, surveyed live with parents that are making $37,000 or less. $37,000 or less. Mm -hmm. So, and you heard that certainly they don't have home ownership, which builds wealth. But we also know that, you know, when you when a parent has a high school education and they're making the, the income that um, cor correlates with that, you know, you can be in a household of lack. And a household of lack also means that those other stressors that we talked about, the girls having depression, anxiety, can come along with with, uh, with some of that. I also, and I would quickly, um, also if you're having listening to the conversation with yours, something else I just want to share is something called the ACE, the Aces, and the Aces is the uh, an adverse childhood experience, and it's an adverse childhood experience that happens before the um, first 18 years of life. And they look at abuse, ch household challenges, and neglect that have occurred. The more ACEs that a, a child will have, the, then you will can look at um, the risk of disease, social and emotional problems that will exist from, from, um, from that trauma. 
And I think that's really important based upon when you think about what our children need and the kind of environments our children are in, what do we need to do to help to make sure that our children are in um, a different environment? I also don't want to just share, I'll let you ask me a question, but it's not all, I don't want, you know, there are a lot, girls see themselves though as they feel they can go to college, they feel as though they are, um, they're bright, they're happy. When you ask them to describe themselves, they're intelligent, they're smart, they're brave, they're pretty, they're unique, they're focused, they're passionate. So they also share, you know, there's a lot of great things that are happening with, that go on in the lives of our girls, but we just have to be mindful that their quality of life is based on this report from an economic context, an academic context, and emotional, mental and emotional well-being. So if I'm understanding you correctly, then, in, in each one of these categories, if you will, in which the commission ultimately compiled its findings, in the economic context, in the academic context, in the context of emotional and mental health, there were situations, there were factors, some of which fall into the category of ACEs or adverse childhood experiences that were more prevalent among children of color and in particular as it relates to this report among girls of color than in the general population. Is that correct? That is correct. And so if we assume for a moment that these are not human beings who just woke up one day and said, gee, I'd like to be homeless or I'd like to not have enough food to eat in my household or I would like to see some type of situation in my family that really causes me anxiety. If we assume these were not choices, then I guess perhaps it's safe to assume that there is something within our system, within our society that impacts people of color more so than others and most commonly that's called racism, correct? That is correct. Okay. So for our audience, if you can think about adverse childhood experiences and what I found to be interesting about this report too is that it didn't necessarily just impact um, young ladies or families who we would consider to be underprivileged I guess is the common word but there were young ladies who were interviewed for example who were in very exclusive private schools and doing well and from middle class to upper middle class families who would relate situations such as being in the school but feeling like they bear the dual role of having to still be relevant in their communities as well as be the spokesperson for the entire black race in their in their schools and so we you saw these patterns across the board with black girls is that true oh absolutely that is true i mean they i mean in this report and i know endorse mentioned and we didn't believe this we thought this can't be still happening but you know racism and colorism kind of contribute to the bullying and that um the girls felt that they had been bullied because of their skin color, again, because of their skin tone. But also, when they are in these exclusive, um, some of these exclusive schools, it is, um, yes, that they felt the pressure of having to be able to um, um, represent the entire race or, you know, thinking about, um, especially around, we talked about the Crown Act, around their hair and how... Um, the treatment may be different that, you know, that sometimes have been told that, you know, their hair is a distraction from, you know, what else is going on in that environment. So, yes, it absolutely is happening there. And then, um, you know, some of our girls talked about that um, they were told, which is kind of that they're acting white and they're not, you know, they're acting white or, um so there, there, there are issues and concerns. There's a, a, a book that's out by, by a, a young lady named uh, Olivia Clark that just kind of wrote about even her experience of being a black girl in a majority white school. And so, yes, that is certainly a challenge. So it isn't that these issues are for individuals who are living what people may think may be in some other challenge situations. I think that all of our girls and the girls that have been on our Black Girl Advisory Council 
certainly have experienced and understand that these issues also face them that uh, and they want to see their lives improved upon but the issues they're facing they understand it's about race yes Councilmember Tyson in the remaining time that we have left breaking the cycle appears to be important and so I see in this report that there are recommendations for example having more practitioners in across the board in education in health care that are more culturally aware what are some of the other recommendations that came out of the Commission's report what happens next and what can our audience do okay thank you very much for asking what I would ask your audience to really um, to go to take a look at this report. This report can be found at the um, at on the Columbus Columbus City Council's website. It's also we have a Commission on Black Girls website. It can be found there. The number one goal for this report was that we'd have a permanent home. It now has a permanent home. It will be housed at the Center for Healthy Families, and so that's an opportunity that if you are interested in learning more about the work of the commission as well as. Um, helping to support black girls and love black girls. There are many opportunities to be able to do that. But the recommendations, as you mentioned, there are three strategies um, and um, 18 recommendations that are in this report that we as a community need to embrace and move forward. Um, also, I think that, um, as Doris said, we, uh, I, I, over the last two days, I also hosted organizations that work with our black girls in an effort to understand what their needs are. How can they support more black girls to be a part of their organizations? And do they need mentors? And so if there are especially black women in our community that are wanting to be a part of organizations to help to help mentor our girls, our girls want to see that. They want to be around women. They want to know, learn more about our culture. So I, that would be my recommendation. The trauma and trials of black girls to our audience. You've heard mentoring. You've heard talking to not only young girls, but also young men about the importance of intimate relationships that are healthy. You've heard talk about demanding health care practitioners and practitioners in other areas like law enforcement who understand us. Our thanks to Columbus City Council member Priscilla Tyson. First, for your work and for your tireless advocacy for our community and for a stellar career and certainly for being here with us today along with Doris Calloway-Moore to talk about Black Girl Trial and Trouble. Dr. I, a lot to process today. Even deeper next week, we're going to talk about the topic of guns. Okay, so thank you to everyone who tuned in today. Hug a black girl today. Hug a black boy today. Hug someone, period, today with your mask on and socially distanced. I should say that. I forget we're in the midst of a pandemic. Thank you all so much for being with us. Enjoy your own look, your own glimpse, your own glance outside your own window today. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next Saturday. Be safe.